Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hello, I'm Gary Mansfield, and welcome to the Mizog Art Podcast, where each week I'll be speaking to a different artist. Now let's begin by banging these bongos. Hello and welcome to episode number 9 of the Mizogart Podcast. Let me start off this week just by talking about the amount of positive feedback I had about the last two episodes being Simon Callery and Alice Maha. Many of you have mentioned um, the film Alice and I were talking about, the artist procession to repeal the 8th. I've personally been going on about that film ever since I've come back from Ireland. And I will again now. If you want to see it, go over to Vimeo, V-I-M-E-O. You want Ishka Films, I-S-H-K-A. And just look for the artist procession to repeal the 8th. It is a pretty, pretty strong film. I'm not sure if I mentioned last week. But we've got um, several more confirmed artists for the Mizog Art Podcast and they are Gavin Turk, Matt Collishaw, Pure Evil, Boo Seville, Will Blanchard, Nick Reynolds, Dr. D, Rugman, and Patricia Volk. Now that's not a bad little lineup of extra artists. And speaking of Patricia Volk, I saw this week she shared an Instagram post stating that she'd been featured herself on a podcast. It's one that I didn't know of, but it's been running longer than this one. It's called The Curator's Salon and it's hosted by Gita Joshi. Now I've only listened to Patricia's podcast but I have downloaded a few more to listen to tomorrow. The description for The Curator's Salon is as follows. A podcast about art stuff including the business of art, opportunities promoting your artwork and interesting conversation with artists mostly. And if I just go through a few of her previous episodes, she's had Snowden Flood, Sam Peacock, um, art licensing with Yehan Bowden Spears, Business Karma with Nicole Liloya, and Liz Atkin. Oh, I like Liz Atkin. I followed her for quite some time over on Twitter. So, yeah, have a listen. Geeta Joshi's The Curator's Salon. 
This week I had the pleasure of meeting up with Heath Kane. We wasn't in Heath's studio, Heath lives outside of London, so we met up in Hoxton Square. And Heath, if you don't know his work, is a printer, new on the scene, very new on the scene. He made a big splash with his first ever print, rich enough to be Batman, and God does the man know how to stay on the wave of that splash. He produces bold prints that are multi-layered, both in their creative process and the concepts behind them. Normally, the podcasts I record are around about 50 minutes long. This one, Heath and I spoke for over an hour and a half. So rather than try and condense it and edit it down into one episode, all of the content was so strong that I had just simply cut it in half and had two episodes. Heath's story really is quite amazing. So I'll shut up and let you listen to him rather than me. Yeah, so we're here in Hoxton Square, just outside the old White Cube Gallery with Heath Kane. Hello. Hi there. So there's going to be, there's a bit of building work going on behind, a bit of traffic going by, and someone just falling off the scaffold. Um, so, Heath Kane. How Hello. Are you? Um, we go straight into it. How would you explain what you do to someone that doesn't know your work? To a blind man? To a blind, <laughs> to a blind man. It's uh, a good question. Um, so, uh, well, you know, I think I was trying to give a sense that I haven't been doing it for very long. Um, uh, so it's hard to sort of talk about my entire body of work. But um, I think I'm just a frustrated designer who uh, found a bit of an outlet with uh, with um, with art and really kind of got uh, a, you know just a love for it um, but how I'd explain it is um, you know I've I think what I found um, through the process because my first piece um, seemed to be a hit um, which was a real big surprise to me and still a surprise to me <laughs> um, with um, it was uh, taking the Queen and putting a Batman mask now um, in itself, I think a lot of people just saw it at, at face did you, value. Did you paint the the mask over the top of the Queen, or was it printed? Uh, it was just printed. It was superimposed. So I just, I, I you know, my background's as a designer, um, and um, a lot of my work kind of follows a design kind of. Uh, thinking or something that I've always sort of followed through so a lot of my work and my still what I do these days is design and so uh, I've I've come from a branding background which is about creating icons essentially and um, what I did with that was uh, was was really just to create a juxtaposition between Two things that creates a third. Um, so there's a there's a there's a design theory called one plus one equals three, yeah. and uh, it sort of comes from this book called Smile in the Mind, and it's um, just really interesting. It's a philosophy that some designers take. So I'll give you an example. Um, you know, uh, if you ever see a FedEx truck, uh, you'll see it's just type. Um, but if you look close enough, you'll actually see in the negative shape of the E and the X, the there's arrow. an arrow. And that's called smile in the mind. It's oh, that the fact that you can decode something yeah, yeah, from... Yeah. And, and so it was that principle which I've applied to my work. Um, and, you know, it's quite a hard process to do because it takes a lot of thought. But 
it's lovely to unpack something. And so Rich Enough to be Batman was just one of those lucky finds where you take uh, the Queen and what the Queen represents, what most people don't see, is she represents um, money. Yeah. Um, so if you look closely, you'll see that the Queen is the Queen from all the monetary notes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I took it from a five-pound note um, and then I applied a Batman mask, which represents social sort of justice. Yeah. And so that was the idea, is um, if anyone who knows what I've done, I used to run a luxury brand agency and I've worked with you know, billionaires and I just got to the point where I just went, I can't <laughs> fucking do this anymore. Um, I'm just, you know, it's not necessarily the billionaires themselves, yeah. but it's all this, you know, the pretentious assholes that you have to deal with yeah. who try to... And you have to, if you're working with them, you have to sort of become one as well to an extent even if it's fake don't you to, yeah it's just to sort of I, think, them if you're... I think that's the thing it's all just smoke and mirrors but it's it's where you see the grotesqueness of people and how they spend money that's kind of what was the thing that underlined um that first piece for me which is the fact that you know someone can go off and spend 1.5 million pounds on a car or 30 million on a boat or you know yeah. 100 million on you know so I was just down in Italy and saw one of these big super yachts and if you understand that you know the kind of money that goes into those things yeah. I mean, it's just it's grotesque it's really fucking grotesque and that was the whole idea that underlied it was that you know if you've they got that much money something worthy you're, you, yeah you're uh, rich enough to be Batman yeah. and you know because that's there was that lovely line I think that was just brought out in that DC comics or a movie that's come out and, and he was asked what's your superpower and Batman says I'm rich and I just thought yeah. that's brilliant yeah. you know because that, that, is, that is a talent yeah. I mean it, you know I admire people don't get me wrong I, I admire people who've got the drive to become wealthy and a lot of people, they're just really smart and they don't really care about the money. They just care about, you know, doing it. And, and a lot achieving. Yeah. yeah. But then there's this, just that, that, there's that kind of, I guess, corona effect that creates that the people outside that who just, like Donald Trump, who's the epitome of grotesqueness, <laughs> yeah. you know, I mean, he just has no fucking moral backbone. He just cares about money and how his sort of status is... And he's in the worst place, position at the moment for us, isn't he? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, and it's just that sinister thought that he's actually just in it for himself. Yeah. That he's, he's not in it for what you would hope to be anyone in politics to do it for because they want, you know, to build a better world. He's doing it to build a better world for, for him, him and his family. Yeah. So... At least that's... And so that's kind of where that piece came from. And then, um, you know, to kind of explain... So did you do that just over a £5 note or did you use the image from the £5 note, make it larger? Yeah, no, I... I, I so coming from that... It's obviously a blue image of the Queen and you put... Was it pink, the first one? The first one, the was, one. Uh, was gold, uh, so she represents wealth. Yeah, yeah. And then there was this fluorescent... Uh, pink mask yeah. um, that was superimposed and that was I, I like neon colours um, largely because of that luridness um, so I guess one way I always explain my art to people is uh, it's like growing old when you get sort of I'm 45 but when you get past 40 you become a bit sinister and surly about things 
and you, you become a bit jaded. And so the way I explain my art is, is exactly how you get old. It's like you get to a point and then you start becoming a bit jaded about things. Yeah, and, yeah. and, you know... Less risky. Well, no, it's just, you know, I never cared about politics in my life. It just, you know, they were there. Life, that was someone else's yeah, problem, yeah. you know, and just get through. But when you get older, and particularly I think when you have kids, you start becoming concerned yeah. about these things. And then you start, you know, kind of going, oh, and becoming cyn like cynical about things. And so inside, you kind of feel like, you know, now with what we're living in with Trump and Putin and, you know, Kim Jong-un, it, like, it eats away at you and there's nothing you can fucking do about yeah. it. And um, what, what I really kind of liked... Well, what, the way I put it into perspective, I think everyone feels like that as they get older. They feel a bit like, oh, the world's going to end and, you know, I don't have the same optimism as I had when I was younger. And yet, when there's that, I think that true kind of Britishness, when you come up and ask someone, how are you? And, and naturally you'll say, I'm fine, thank yeah. you. Despite the fact that something's yeah, eating away. Your life's you're falling in... apart, yeah. And so I like that just a position about how you know how that plays out in life where you know and, it, and it's kind of an advertising trait that you know every person i know in advertising is always sinister or cynical about you know what they do and yet they do it anyway because yeah. it's sort of this luridness yeah, of, and so that's kind of how i guess i explain my art is that i'm a grumpy old bastard who tries to make <laughs> things look happy and so i do that advertising trick which is i use kind of lurid colors and use bright things to draw people in and so it, I, I can guarantee you everyone who sees my work always falls to the trap that they think it's a happy picture yeah. and that and as long as they look at it they start to realize oh shit there's a really yeah, dark subversive it, theme it, to it this. does work on two levels insofar as they're very striking and intriguing because you see the queen in a batman mask for instance using using that one so it's pleasing to the eye anyway and then when you realize that there's an underlying story to it well, that's the thing, and I think this is my interest in art as well, is, is being able to tell stories. I've, I've never understood art um, in, in terms of, you know, I've not been one of those people who have been brought up with art. I can't go to the Tate Modern and go, hmm, you know, I just think, what the fuck is that? <laughs> um, you know, so I'm not your typical artist, or at least I've certainly not been classically trained. I don't have that sort of interest in that sort of conceptual level. I certainly don't understand the sort of stuff that Saatchi and Brit Art was all about. You know, so I'm, I, well, I'm 45, I'm that really more sinister, yeah, but then cynical you're, you're about everything. That, yeah. Your work could sit amongst theirs. Well, I don't know, but the weird thing is, um, you know, we talked about this. It is conceptual. It, it, it is a concept you're selling. I guess so, but, you know... W w I think it fits between two spots, you know. So you've got amazing artists who are classically trained and very technical, and then you've got the sort of conceptual artists who go off and really explore and try and, you know, temper people's brains. And I think I'm somewhere sort of, well, I, you know, I'm probably more in the conceptual level, you're right, because um, I'm skillless when it comes to actually painting. And So if, if you was to have to put yourself into a genre, where would you put it? Would you put it graphics? I think so. That's the thing. I Conceptual. mean, I, the fact that, you know, we're sitting here and, and where you're interviewing me as an artist, I always have a laugh about the fact because I'm not the first person to ever think of myself as an artist. 
um, I think of myself as a designer first, only because that's how I've always spent my life. And my, my thinking is the same sort of process. It's just that with design, you hand over artwork effectively. Yeah. So whatever I've designed, and you know, I've been proud of all lots of things that I've done in my life, but I've always been handing it off. You don't own it, you know, it's, yeah. it's a, the intellectual property, everything. And so what became immediately interesting to me was when I, when I did this first piece and, and had this sort of like eureka moment, oh, it's mine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck, you mean I can do it and spin it off and do lots of colorways and just milk it until yeah. it's tomorrow. So I, I find that absurd but hilarious and, and, yeah, that's kind of what... So when was your first interest in art? Well, I guess it's that it's the blurring of the lines. Because and do you have an influential artist as well? No, oh. that's the thing. I don't. I guess so. As much as I admire lots of artists, and I could rattle off lots of people's names, um, I I think because I run, uh, you know, I've been bizarrely enough. I was quite influential in my career in design, yet don't didn't ever have that sort of notoriety that yeah. kind of attaches yourself to being. Because I've always built around an agency or a business, or you know, I've been employed by big companies. So I've always had this mentality: I was part of a team, as opposed to you know me as putting yeah. my name out there. So that's kind of a. Did you find that difficult now? Having your own identity rather than being part of a group. Uh, yeah, it is. I mean, we, you know, I, was, I, I, find, well, I said to you earlier that, you know, I just find it weird that people actually buy yeah. my work. Well, like I said um, just before we started talking, when I was at Ray Richardson's private view last night and I mentioned I was coming to speak to you today, um, a guy we was with said he's got, he just bought three of your prints himself, so... Yeah, do you know what? It's so bizarre. I mean, I, it, it, there was this kind of moment of where... It, I mean, it, it, I can tell you every day is kind of like this sort of like kind of pinch yourself yeah. moment um, but I remember one vivid time was um, I sold a piece or rather um, uh, a f I was selling pieces um, through uh, Art Republic and I'm imagining they obviously sold one to uh, the States now I happened to through my career used to start around the world um, and work for these big agencies and uh, previously to living in the UK I was I was living in San Francisco so I've got lots of friends out there and a friend happens to walk into a friend's house or one of his friend's house and uh, immediately pings me a photo guess what's up on his wall and it was my picture <laughs> and it was just that oh my god you know it's that wow what a small world there is um, so yeah, it, it, it's completely baffling to me. Um, and, you know, yesterday I was speaking to a girl on Instagram who bought a piece from me. As far as I know, it's the first time I've ever spoke to her, but apparently she's got a whole collection. Oh, cool. Yeah, <laughs> so, good. So it's just, yeah, it's, I mean, it's lovely. I mean, I can't be more thankful for people who buy my work because I don't. I mean, yeah. you know, obviously... Well, I remember seeing yours. It was probably... What we in now? It's probably even this year when I first saw yours, and I see a, a few bits you was putting up on Instagram and that, and then there was one image that you put up or you um, you reposted, which was someone had put them up in their hallway and they'd put two large images. Oh, they're my yours. house. I was at your house, sorry, <laughs> but they looked absolutely stunning, and I even sort of 
hit you up and said like they look really good there yeah no well so um this is i mean this is how it started for me is that i i got into art because we moved out of london and uh you know i was encouraged to uh well we just had lots of space and so uh, my wife just didn't want to spend the money of buying other people's work, so she she just said, "Why don't you do it yourself?" And then that's kind of how it got started. And so, had you already had the idea of that before? No, your wife I, said that it didn't, and that's the, you know I, I can't explain it to anyone how I come up with. It. I can't even explain it to myself. I just know I sat down, and and I mean it sounds horrible. Did you have the concept first of, like you were saying earlier? Um, the attitude a rich person could take but possibly chooses not to or did you have the image first and then add the concept to it you know think oh, it'd be good to put the, a mask on the uh, I, I, you know the only way I can explain it is is it's that sort of it was that time in my life where I was running my uh, design agency which specialised in luxury goods constantly feeling frazzled about you know just how these wealthy people are spending their money and then I just I think maybe out of angst or frustration I just came up with it as thinking as a kind of an antagonistic sort of finger up yeah, to yeah. you know this is what I really you know deep down I feel and maybe you know I, that's the only way I can kind of explain it is it is kind of like you know a fart that, that escaped <laughs> and you know it kind of just oh <laughs> well, we weren't expecting that, yeah. But, you know, at the same time, you feel a little bit proud about yourself <laughs> because that let out a musical tune that you weren't aware of. I mean, I, I pulled you away from that question there about your first interest in art. Yep. Um, I know that, you, as you just said, like, you know, you, the, the art in, in galleries isn't really your thing. You, you put up, would, you, would I be correct in saying you're more drawn towards street art? Uh, no, that's the thing. I'm, I'm really... You know, I, this is a bit of an identity crisis because I, I've talked to a lot of people. Um, so my my close friend Rugman, um, you know, I've had this conversation with, and uh, you know, we'll, I guess we'll tap into this. Um, we put together this show called Ace Club, um, and you know, it felt to me that there was lots of people that I could associate with who didn't fit in um, places, and I think what in the very short time that I've been doing it, I guess because I've got a, a very kind of business brain and, and as a designer, you know, employed to look at people's problems and, and yeah, sort of sort yeah. them out, um, I just saw a hole in the market which was, you know, there was something that's changing. And what I particularly like and what I don't like about galleries per se is this whole attitude to you know, buying into an investment. I just, I, it really frustrates me. Um, you know, if you look at all this sort of artists and how they kind of go from this pedestal and then kind of climb up, but they all have to do it through the gallery system. But the thing that kind of really struck me and, and what has been driving me about my art and, and everything kind of circumnavigating that was this idea that print art kind of is changing that. Because you think about it, right? You think about all the most influential artists, you know, from Van Gogh and uh, Da Vinci and whatnot, and you think about if if their whole existence um, existed around just doing a one-off piece, right? So first of all, the problem is you're kind of creating this exclusive exclusivity model yeah. by which only a few people can have it, 
and in most cases someone who's wealthy hoards it right um, and or it goes into a gallery but you know like the Louvre you've I mean, how many times have you seen the you know Mona Lisa yeah, for yeah, instance yeah, yeah. right and and how close can you get to it and how can you actually appreciate the technique or whatever and it's all those things that I just that's what I don't like about art I just don't like the fact that it, it kind of it hides itself it's always got a veil about and how it kind of concedes itself um, away from you know what it should be which is you know brought into the public's view and mm. people appreciate it so what I really like and what I fell into the trap of um, which I'm kind of and uh, I guess uh, a provocator of is this idea of print art yeah. it's this idea that everyone can and like you say um, uh, your mate owns three pieces on my work what I like and kind of what satisfies my brain is if you I, I think you know if let's just assume that um, Monet throughout his career painted let's say a thousand paintings right I mean it may be more it could be less but let's just say he did a thousand paintings right that's a thousand paintings that get hoarded that end up in museums that yeah. you know and already in my very short time and when I say short time um, you know I started effectively as an, what I would say as an artist last year so I've been technically running for a year and a half which most people don't think I have yeah, been yeah. but it's true I've been an artist who's actually been looking at doing it I'm still part-time and that's the other thing that people don't realize um, so I'm a designer by trade I've run multiple companies and I just do art on the side um, so in that time I can already boast that I've I've um, sold over 3,000 prints right that's quite extraordinary. Do you have an original, or are they all prints? No, they're all prints. I've got... Because you get artists like, like we're just around the corner from um, who we were talking about earlier, Pure Evil. Yeah. So he will have the original on a canvas yep. worth, I think they're about two grand. But then he'll do prints of them worth, I don't, I don't know how much his prints are, so... Yes, sorry, about Charlie, 400 but, yeah. pounds. So... 200, yeah. 400 so, pounds, yeah. So... He's doing the same. We can all have one of his prints. Yeah. But then likewise, because there's the original, the mother print, if you like, you know, people go, oh, well, I quite like that one. So it... Well, I have done that. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of trying to justify if it's the right thing or the wrong then, thing to do. If, by doing that, are you not pushing yourself towards that exclusivity that you're trying to keep away from? Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Well, yeah, so that's the interesting thing. So I'm actually kind of um, trying to... <laughs> 
what's the right word, um, come a bit more elastic about, you know, how I operate. So the one thing that I, the reason why I'm a part-time artist is I couldn't survive um, just selling prints. So the, the, the idea of creating an original is appealing because you, you can obviously make a, a yeah. big chunk of change very quickly from doing what effectively you're doing all the legwork to do to do prints, mm. right? So you have to come up with the idea, you know, whether or not you print it or however you do it, that original is the same process as doing a print, yeah. you know. It's just that I'm just kind of wholesaling that idea in a sense. One of the things that I, uh, well, I was told very early on um, never to do open editions, don't sell your work cheap, you know, all that sorts of bullshit. And I think maybe because I'm one of those kids um, who was told never to do things that I had to do it yeah, anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and know, just see why it, <laughs> yeah. see, find out yourself why it's wrong. Yeah, don't stick that fork in the PowerPoint. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I can tell you the ca- outcome of that too. Um, but anyway, so uh, a lot of people... I think part of the reason why I've grown as quick as I have is because I've broken the rules. And I like the idea of inclusiveness rather than exclusiveness. Well, I like the way you're doing it insofar as you was trying to make multiples first and then trying to make exclusive pieces, which is the opposite way around to what a lot of fine artists now are doing the other way around. They've been making these ones to go in galleries and then, because the galleries are taking 50%, they make their own multiples where they haven't got to give the gallery 50%. Yeah, yeah. No, you know? exactly. Um, so then, I don't know, Damien Hirst, Tracy Emin, for instance, you know, they, they do their big piece and then they do yeah, prints exactly. from it and, and multiples from there. So I'm adding another tier to this which doesn't kind of exist and, it, and it's kind of seen as, as really dirty, but I can guarantee you, any artist out there listening, this it works i mean it's just me being kind of entrepreneurial but every gallery told me never to do open editions don't sell kind of you know um cheap prints of your work but think about it for it this is the way i looked at it you think about monet you think about all the sort of you know if you kind of asked anyone around this square tell me five artists that come to mind right they're not going to give you the sort of Rikers and that, you know, they're going to give you the Monets and all these, or the Banksy yeah, and so yeah. on. And why are those people always in the picture? I mean, why, for instance, are so many dead artists always back in the picture? And it's because it's like so ingrained. It, I mean, this is where I think my background of being brand understands this, is that we've been so ingrained in it. But actual fact is, the only reason we've been so ingrained in it is it's A, being sort of textbook to us, right? So it's in, in books, it's been published, yeah. it's lithographic, it's, you know, been, it's been put into pulp and it's been mass-produced. But there's tea towels, there's key rings, yeah. there's yeah. all these things that artists don't actually talk about. But if it wasn't for that, and, and if it wasn't for the media, you know, you wouldn't have... Banksy at the same notoriety no disrespect to Banksy um, but it's like it's because the fact that we, it's become mainstream it becomes you know it's why people wear Banksy t-shirts it's why it be- you can go off and build or, or print Banksy on underpants yeah, and it would yeah. work because you know it's this correlation between brand and and success 
that you know most artists don't really understand. And so, what I did. Um, so you're trying to make a brand first, and turning it into an artwork. Yeah, I think so. I think you know they're they're, you know, well, anyone who's a, a true kind of artisan at their trade is cares more about the trade than the business. I think, unfortunately, I'm just programmed where I actually know what sells <laughs> and have done it, you know, so I make no mistakes about it. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm very entrepreneurial about how I've approached it. Despite this, um, I can genuinely say that all the pieces I've done, and hence why I always act surprised, have been always designed for me. There's only been two pieces that I've ever designed that have just been done for the sake, not of commercial sense, but just to a piece, a gallery or, you know. So everyone told me, for instance, don't do politics. And if you look at most of my work, it's all full yeah, of politics. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I did Mass Affair. Not a single gallery would touch that. Uh, they just looked at it and said, are you mad? Why would, you, why would we put a picture of Trump with a Mexican Lucha Libre yeah. mask on next to a picture of Putin with a Pussy Riot mask <laughs> on next to Kim Jong-un with a pair of Mickey Mouse ears and a, you know, and, a, and a mask. It's like they just looked at it and just said, no one will ever buy that. Yeah. And I just thought, well, I would. <laughs> well, I, had, I had a great story. I think I've even mentioned it on a podcast before. And I can't remember who the journalist was, but they had a picture, a painting of Mussolini and they wanted to put it through Sotheby's or one of the big auction houses and they said sorry we don't touch we don't touch that now that's that's not our thing we don't do it so he knew Damien Hurst he gave it to Damien Hurst and Damien Hurst oh he, he a red spot got put on the painting right um, I don't know if it was centre you know yeah, but yeah. a red Damien Hurst spot got put on the painting took it back Sotheby's or uh, I'll say Sotheby's the auction house yeah, yeah, took yeah. it with open arms you know yeah. what I mean so just because it had this red spot so it was underlying yeah. it was still a, a, a painting of Mussolini but yeah, yeah, because no, exactly. it had this Damien Hurst on all of a sudden you know it, it was a, a Damien Hurst rather than whoever happened to paint that painting you know well I mean I, I digress so where where I'm sort of going is I you know I opened up my art um, and so anyone who's seen me selling my work knows that I sell all my work for like 15 pounds yeah. and I sign it and um, you know if I approached a gallery and said I've got this idea of selling open editions um, and they're signed but you know um, they all, they'll all laugh and they'll all say you're fucking mad but I tell you what I, I, I can attribute it to probably my success because the reason why probably uh, well I mean I can count that I've sold probably 3,000 and how of, big are they they're about uh, they're A5 yeah yeah so kind of you know oversized postcards but do you know what I, I'm dedicated now to keep doing it because I'd rather this is the thing uh, and I think this is the whole philosophy to my work and, and it was sort of the well could there not be an open edition at A5 and then an addition at sort of A2. Well, they are. They are at the moment, and that's the thing. So I've created all these sort of layers. Yeah. Because I like the idea. And of, then the, as the I say, top level, uh, 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 the unique one at the top. Yeah. It, it sort of follows. Uh, well, again, coming back to my past, it follows a luxury goods uh, strategy. So if you take uh, sort of um, a fashion house, for instance, right? Take someone like Gucci or Prada. You know. 
break it down, their business, and it's essentially a triangle. At the very top, you have their court chair. They're the sort of, you know, the one-off suits, the dresses that they get taken onto the red carpets, get paraded in PR mm. sort of world. Um, they don't sell a great deal of those, as you could probably yeah. imagine, right? There's a few very wealthy people who would ask for something bespoke to be made. But largely, you get down to the middle layer, and the middle layer is your limited editions. So that's your handbags and all your things that they sell to wealthy people. You know, so there's a, a 5,000 pound handbag, but we're only making 50 of those, right? And, um, and then when you really work it out, you know, there's, that's still a kind of a limited market. And the reason why Gucci and Prada are so big is all at the bottom. It's, it's, it's what, in my game, they call the corona effect. It's, you know, the, the rays of the sun. Everyone wants to touch the yeah, sun. Yeah. That's why we'll travel south to go and get a sun holiday because in the UK, it's this dreary yeah. fucking <laughs> piddly bit of <laughs> weather. Yeah, we have a fortnight's worth. Right, yeah, exactly. So. It's where, at that bottom level, where people buy into the brand. It's the sunglasses, it's the perfumes, it's that, you know, everyone wants to buy part of yeah, it, that. Yeah, and everyone's got a little reach to it. And that's, I mean, I, you know, well, in their case, I don't think they would be at the size they are if it wasn't for that. And, and, and that, you know, again, um, you, I've approached art the same way. It's what the same as Tate Modern do, you know, you go and look around the upstairs and you go in the shop and they're doing exactly that. Key rings and, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, you know, it, it's, it, you know, all the galleries try and put into artists' heads that it's blasphemy to do it. So anyway, that, that's kind of, that's where I've sort of fallen in. I know we've probably used a lot of time talking about the commercial part. So oh, it's all part of it, isn't it? Yeah. But uh, a question here is, what's the first turning point in your artwork? I think you're, you never had a turning point. Your, your starting point was your turning point. I yeah, it was. With I the mean, Batman. Well, yeah. So that, I mean, that was that was the very first thing that happened. And when when I, um, no one really realizes this, but um, you know, to go back, what I was saying, you know, I I did it for me. I, um, so we moved into a house, and I wanted just to make my own artwork, and that was just I thought it was quite funny. I would enjoy it, you know. Um, I like the kind of the, the you know iconic, very sort of simple um, nature of what it was. I couldn't find any other artwork that kind of appeased me the same way because I like you know design. It's, it's quite anarchistic as well, isn't it? You're saying like being a punk in Australia. Yeah, it's part well, of that as thing. well, isn't yeah. it? It's a punk T-shirt. In well, the exactly. Making, it's yeah. It's Jamie Reed growing yeah. up on Jamie yeah. Reed yeah. and having Sex Pistol covers and wanting to deface the Queen. Yeah, you know, of it's. So, yeah, I think that's always been inherent in my past, is just having that little bit of uh, anarchy in, in my bloodstream. Um, and having sort of grown up through that amazing era where, you know, I mean, everyone takes their era with them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it was part of that. And, um, but how it got started to the question was really about, you know, I understand print world, um, but I don't really understand the art world. So um, I had this idea of, of rich enough to be Batman. I put it on screen. I put it, and I thought, all right, um, yeah, screen, I'll get it screen printed, you know, like uh, Charlie from Pure Evil. Yeah. I'd seen one of his pieces and how that done, and I kind of deconstructed how he did it. And it was really simple, and I went, oh, yeah, I could do that. And um, I went and started talking to a few screen printers, not knowing who to go and talk to, and... Um, 
Anyway, I, I befriended uh, a guy called Mark um, uh, from what is now a Adam Gallery, and uh, he was working from uh, his house in uh, Archway at the time. And I called him up, and I was up in North London, just up the road from him, and, and I said, um, I've got a, a piece I'd like to do. What's the minimum order that I could do, thinking that I could ask him for one? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, he told me uh, the story and gave me, I think it was a, a minimum of about uh, 10 or 15 or 20, something like that. And I was like, oh, fuck, what am I going to do with yeah. 15 of these? Uh, or whatever it was. So uh, I, I, I said, all right, thanks. Um, let me have a think about it and get back to you. And I thought about it and I just thinking, oh, I don't really want to spend, you know, a couple of hundred pounds getting them printed and have 15 of them, you know. I mean, I might use two of them and put them like kind of a Warhol yeah, thing yeah, and yeah, yeah. put them next to each other. That kind of could look cool. And uh, anyway, um, long story short, it just hit me that maybe I could sell them and then that could pay for the printing yeah, costs. Yeah, of course, of right? course. So this That's what drug dealers do, isn't it? People <laughs> start buying their own, their own shit and go, well, rather than me buy it, I'll sell the, yeah. I'll get a big lump of it and sell it. So that's now going to be yeah, the way I explain yeah. my artwork now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's how it started. Thing, yeah. And um, anyway, I, I was... I, I remember how it started for me. I went down to um, a gallery... Um, called Atomica um, in Covent Garden yeah. um, and they just had something really kind of cool and I really liked everything that was going on in that shop and I just bravely walked into it and this is remember this is before I actually committed to doing these prints so thinking I'd love to do it but I'll actually commit myself. Did you myself. have a price in mind at the time? Well so this is it so I walked into the shop and I and I had I said I'd be in I wondered how you take artists on and you know ask the sort of the questions and I pulled out my phone and showed her a picture of Rich Enough to be Batman and so I've got this print you know and I blagged my way because I actually didn't yeah I just had it as an idea and I said I've got these prints um, would you be interested in perhaps selling them if I brought some in and uh, she said oh yeah that looks kind of cool and uh, you know sort of kind of alluded towards the fact that they had a print rack with emerging artists yeah, and yeah. yeah I'd just be sort of that and I thought well that sounds that sounds all right that sounds somewhat promising right yeah. it doesn't need to be kind of up on the wall or anything if it's just in a rack where someone might discover it and actually might sell one in which case it it funds me to do these pieces for myself then so be yeah, it yeah. so be it right and so that's how it all got started but you, you tapped onto the right thing. So then the next question was, this is where she pulled me up from being an artist, was how big is the addition? And I went, yeah. what's the addition? <laughs> <laughs> There's okay. the floor in your plan. Yeah. So, and I went, I, they're on the spot thinking, right, I'm going to have to wing this. I went, uh, 200? And she said, you know, sucked her teeth and went, oh, that's kind of a lot. I went, 100? Yeah. And she went, yeah, that's probably better. I went, yeah, I'm doing 100. <laughs> And uh, that's kind of how it got started, really. And, and, and then, uh, so that was the confidence to go off and get them done. Then I remember um, going in to see Mark at uh, Adam, and he asked me some grueling questions, what I felt was grueling questions. He said, so what's your, what's your artist name? And I went, oh, um, <laughs> I hadn't even thought about that. And I, and I went, well, 
I think I'll just do it as me. And that's, and so he was asking all these sort of questions and I just realized, fuck, I just really showing the fact yeah. that I am so not ready for yeah, this. Yeah. But it all came together. I walked down, I, I put the prints down to... But you uh, was only at the level that you knew you was at. It's just a... Uh, oh, yeah. You tried but, just but stepping a, up another step. It was a baptism of a fire yeah. just to come in and, and feel like, actually, in order to feel credible, I'm going to have to have a good backstory. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, so um, it stuck very quickly with the fact that I couldn't think of a clever name um, to be an artist, uh, and uh, and uh, I stuck to my name, thinking. But your name's a bloody good name anyway, isn't it? Ah, oh, thank you. Uh, I, I well, if you come to my house, I've, it's been a pondering name. Why the fuck I was ever called Heath in in a family with three other brothers called Evan, Michael, John? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you just think, how does it slip? Yeah, where did that come from? <laughs> like you know, they're almost kind of like very clean-cut, yeah. biblical sort of names, and all of a sudden you go off, <laughs> off on <laughs> a bender. Off piece, yeah. <laughs> and then it's only until I moved to the UK when I was 20-something that I realised that Heath means small, bushy area, which I was real <laughs> <laughs> disappointed by. But... Yeah, it's not even got a good story behind <laughs> it, is it? So, but, so uh, the Heath cane might be something you'd prod a bush with. Yeah, I... I I think that's it. I'm just, I'm just that obnoxious little <laughs> weed that sort of grows over things. So saying that the question four being, which piece have you created that you hold most dear? Would I presume that's no, actually, well, or not? I, I think I'm fond of it. Because it is quite... Because if, I, if I, I sort of just butting again already, it does seem quite strange talking to an artist who is sort of more or less established... Or, or at least being on the path to being quite established, and you're only, in art terms, you're only 18 months old. Yeah, probably. You know, well, I tell you... Strange I, asking you about inspirations when you go on, I've only been doing it 18 months, so... Yeah, and the, well, the weird thing is, I kind of have to find my feet really quickly because, I, I, you know, that's the sort of questions that I'm constantly being asked. Um, and if you look at my sort of short catalogue of work, um, you know, to... What piece of it do you hold most dear? Well, so this is the thing. So, I, I mean, obviously, I'm, you know, I'm absolutely chuffed. Um, I feel kind of out-of-body experience that my very first piece is the yeah. best-selling piece. Um, I haven't been able to top it. <laughs> that says a lot. But that's, yeah, but, but that, it's the starting I think point, it, isn't I th it? I think um, very few people know this piece that I did. Actually, two pieces that I did are the two pieces that I'm kind of personally glad for, and yet they're probably the least known pieces that I've done. So um, I'll talk you through them. The first one was a piece called um, uh, When the Revolution Starts. Mm. So this is me being kind of quite political um, at a time when Trump was just stepping into office. Yeah. In fact, it was um, at the time of his inauguration, around that time. Um, so, um, you know, that kind of paints the picture. And, and, you know, what it was, I kind of am driven very much by gut. And that's what I like about art, whereas with art or with, with sort of design, I'm very much driven by, um, you know, commercial and brief yeah, and yeah. all these sorts of things. With art, I take a long time because I have... 
it has to sort of roar into my belly in order for it to be something. And, um, you know, I was, you know, like most people, just pissed off, just really fucking pissed off Mm. that how did this happen? You know, like, this just is fucking absurd. And and so if you look along my pieces, you know, um, Master Fear, it was just like kind of yelling at yeah, into the world, just, a response to just it. saying "fuck." But, yeah. but again, you know, it's that as I described, it's being cynical and and having that kind of jadedness that you kind of want to yell and scream mm. at the world about how much sort of disdain you have, and at the same time, try and be positive. And that's kind of I, I've sort of set those two rulers yeah. always in place so that the 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 my artwork always has to have a kind of a happiness to it. It always has to have that kind of appeal, like a bright light to a yeah, mosquito yeah. or a moth that draws you in. Well, the, the ones that you're doing with the Mexican masks yeah. are very different. Yeah, yeah, yeah from, no, that's the thing. From the superhero ones. What's the concept behind the Mexican mask? On Because have you put them on actual paintings or have you just got a, yeah, a print so, of the painting? So I might get onto those. I'll... I'll perhaps just finish go on, with go on, the, two, the two pieces oh, sorry going off on a tangent but the two pieces so at that time you know lots of angst lots of sort of yelling my memory of art at least art history I, so I did art um, when I was at school um, you know um, between sort of 14 and 18 yeah um, and of course you get sort of spoon fed all the sort of art history stuff um and all your sort of uh, Ninja Turtles, the Raphaels and the Donatellos yeah, yeah, and all yeah. that. And, um, but I always, uh, one piece that always stuck in my mind is just like, because I think my teacher kind of excited me about it, was um, Eugene Delacroix's Liberty Leading the People. Now, everyone sort of knows this piece. It's, it's, it's kind of like the kind of French piece. It, it represents the French Revolution. Yeah. You know, it's got Mariana, who's this woman, and her breast is sticking out. But I, what I really like is all the kind of semantics about that. If you look at it, you know, um, apart from having a woman with one boob sticking out, you know, there, there's this lovely sort of part, or all, all these pieces and story, back backstory that goes into it. And what I really like is just what it represents. It represents, you know, that time of history. And I think, you know, just to throw in one other piece to the kind of, you know, what makes me tick. I like art, you know, um, as, a, as a moment of time. Yeah. I like art which actually represents um, the fact that someone in 200 years' time can look at that and say, oh, that's what yeah. it was like. Yeah. That's why I don't like pictures of... A reflection of, of, of the time which it was painted in. Which is a kind of... Or made in. Yeah, which is actually the explanation to the... the Mexican mask, but I'll tell you more about that in a sec. The, the Eugene Delacroix um, piece, um, you know, what I really like about it is just a big fucking strong smack you over the head yeah, piece. Yeah. Because when you work, when you when uh, at least the way it was told to me and the way that it kind of plays out, you know, Mariano who's holding the flag, she represents liberty, mm. right? She's this, she's the icon for France. Her breast is sticking out because she's been robbed of her dignity, yeah. right? So if I shamed you by pulling your pants out, it's the exact same thing, yeah. right? You know, your, your cock's sticking out. Oh, shit, that's a bit embarrassing. 
but she doesn't look embarrassed, yeah. right? And so, in fact, she looked more determined and hungry yeah. to, you yeah. know, fuck with the yeah. aristocracy more than ever. And that's the really powerful part about that picture, is that despite she's been robbed of her dignity, despite in front of her there's all these dead bodies, so death awaits well, her. her accepting it is, is t- turning that power around, giving her the power, isn't it? And then look behind her, and there's all these sort of people. But what's really lovely, when you get into the semantics of it, you sort of see it's not just a class of people, it's lots of yeah. classes from, you know, there was... There was people from the Navy. There's, you know, when you look at it really closely, you start to see there's this wonderful tapestry. And then in the background, you see the military forming and you can see smoke and all these things. And it's this great thing. But I just love the fact that, you know what, it was she represented I would die for a cause. And, you know, that's this sort of endearment that you take from it. It's like, fuck me. Mm. Like, these people would lay down their lives for a cause. And so that made me think about, you know, how pissed off I was and all these people were about everything that's happening in the world with Trump and, you know, how could this happen and whatnot. Well, how about that? Didn't I tell you it was a strong episode? Didn't I? Yes. And like I said at the beginning of this podcast, Heath jumped into the artistic ocean, made a big splash, and he is riding that wave still. And I know Heath's... um, outlook of the art world will divide some people but I'm quite sure that the line that Heath has drawn in the sand will blur in a very short matter of time but as I said last week Heath says he doesn't know which uh, which genre he sits in and that conceptual art isn't really his thing yet the prints he produces are the visual representations of a concept that he's trying to explain that's why I refer to him as a conceptual printer if there is such a thing. But I'm afraid you're going to have to wait another week for the second half of Heath's podcast. I recorded another two this week, which will precede Heath's podcast. The first with Sam Harris, who appears to be everywhere at the moment, which we recorded in the pit cinema in the Barbican, and MC Yamas, which we recorded in her studio in south-west London. So more good listening ahead. So again, as normal, I will ask you if you could please just spread the word of this podcast if you're enjoying it. You can see the full lineup on www.mizogart.com, M-I-Z-O-G-A-R-T, Mizog Art. And likewise, you can tap me up on social media, any other social medias, at Mizog Art. So until next week, thanks for listening. ta Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365 day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.